Good morning, church. Okay, the first Thanksgiving around the 1600s, there was uh, 90 Indians, or that's not right, Native Americans, and there were 50 pilgrims, lasted for three days. You think you've got a big crowd coming for Thanksgiving. That's a big crowd right there. Thanksgiving was served, uh, observed in North America over the next few years intermittently until one president made it a federal holiday with this proclamation. Let me read you part of the proclamation, then I'm going to quiz you. I'm going to quiz you who this was. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, others have been added, which are so extraordinary in nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. That was part of the proclamation declaring the last Sunday, or last Thursday rather, in November to be Thanksgiving. Quiz, who was the president that made that proclamation? I'm sorry? Uh, Abraham Lincoln? Abraham Lincoln it is. It was Abraham Lincoln, and he, he, he was declared this to be a federal holiday. The year was 1863. And what's significant about that is that 1863 was at the height of the Civil War. Probably, arguably, one of the darkest periods in American history, the Civil War, and the president found reason and causes to give thanks to God for his blessings. So that's part of the rest of the story about that, our holiday of Thanksgiving. Now, as you know, we've been in a sermon series here called The Rest of the Gospel, and just as there's kind of a twist or a surprise at the end of familiar historical accounts like Thanksgiving, there's kind of a, a rest of the story to the gospel as well. There's the gospel that we're familiar with, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, which is true and amazing grace and wonderful. But the other part of the gospel, the second part of the double cure of grace for our sins is what we call sanctification. The progressive process of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like God, becoming more obedient in our lives, putting sin to death in our lives, and the resource that God has given us for sanctification is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's what we've been talking about, sanctification in this sermon series, and how we can engage the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to talk about gratitude in that process. I'm going to call it sanctified gratitude. In theologian Jack Cottrell's book called Power from on High, the whole book is about the Holy Spirit. In one chapter, he gives what he calls the eightfold path for uh, sanctification. These are, these are eight steps that we Christians can take to engage the power of the Holy Spirit. And the eighth step in his path is gratitude. It's thanksgiving. Be grateful to God and thanking God for the Holy Spirit that he has given us which is great, but it's just a small paragraph. I, I think there's actually more to it than that. What is sanctified gratitude? Well, it, it's, the word sanctified means to be set apart for a holy purpose. So it's one thing to be grateful when everything is going great. It's just like when Jesus said, uh, you, you love your family, but even pagans and unbelievers love their family. I want you to love your enemies. So Jesus is always calling us to a higher standard. Well, likewise, it's one thing to be grateful when we're all healthy and the family's all together and the family's going good and the job is great and the money's coming in. It's something else 
to be thankful and grateful when our circumstances are not working out. Maybe our health is not that great. The family is dysfunctional. The job is driving us crazy. The boss is driving us crazy. So I call this sanctified gratitude. It's something that really only Christians have access to. How can we be thankful and grateful to the Lord in a holy way? And, it's, and, this, and how does this work into our sanctification? Well, I want to suggest there are three aspects of sanctified gratitude this morning. It comes from knowing three things. Number one, and, and I've got an outline on the back of your, your bulletin today. But sanctified gratitude comes from spiritual satisfaction. Spiritual satisfaction. In John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, anyone who drinks the, this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And what Jesus is talking here about living water to this woman at the well. What is living water? What is the living water that he's talking about? Now, if you know the answer to that, just on the back of your bulletin, you just jot down the answer. Just take two seconds and jot down the answer. I want to give you the opportunity to have bragging rights this morning or whisper it to the person sitting next to you if you don't want to write it down. Hopefully you know the person sitting next to you and whisper it to them. What is living water? Okay, you've had a chance to do that. Living water is the Holy Spirit. Now, most of you knew that. If you wrote that, if you wrote that on the back of your bulletin or whispered it to the person next to you, you get an A this morning for biblical literacy and pneumatology. Pneumatology is the study of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 7, verse 37, of course, we go to the Bible for our answers to questions like that. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit, that's the living water within us, like an internal artesian well. He says, this is what satisfies. You drink other kinds of water, you're going to get thirsty again. You drink the living water, the Holy Spirit, what have we been talking about in this whole sermon series? The Holy Spirit in our lives. When do we receive him? When we are baptized. Right? The, the watershed sermon, evangelistic sermon in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, at the conclusion, Peter says, all right, let each of you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for two reasons. One, the forgiveness of your sins, and two, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise for you, your children, for all who are far off. And later on, in the next sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, he put it like this, repent and turn to the Lord that your sins may be washed away and you will experience times of refreshing. That's Acts 3.19. It's parallel to Acts 2.38 that your sins may be washed away, that's the forgiveness, that you may experience times of refreshing, that's equivalent to you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brings refreshing, refreshment, spiritual refreshment into our lives. How are we grateful when things are not always going great? We realize that things down here on the fleshly level in this world and this life never can ultimately bring ultimate satisfaction. We are, there are two parts to every person. We have a physical side and we have a spiritual side. And the Bible speaks of this sometimes like the inner man and the outer man. 
Or Jesus says, don't fear those who can only kill the body here on earth. Fear the one who can kill body and soul. Soul is just another name for the spirit. So we're made up of two parts, a physical side and a spiritual side. And our physical side is always demanding that we meet its needs. And when we get hungry, we feel that. We get thirsty, we're going to satisfy that. We need clothing and shelter. That's always in front of us. It's a lot easier to ignore our spiritual dimension. But if we do, we're going to be starving. We're going to be thirsty. So we have to pay attention to our spiritual side. A lot of people think, if I just had more of this, if I just had more of that, then I would be happy and grateful and thankful. If I just had $147 million, who has $147 million? Tiger Woods, according to the Internet, which so it must be true. Now look at Tiger Woods. He's happy. He's obviously happy, right? Because he has $147 million. We would all be happy if we had $147 million. But look at this picture of Tiger Woods. He doesn't look so happy. This is from his arrest last year for driving under the influence. Not so happy. Dr. Keith Ablow wrote an article about Tiger Woods called Inside the Mind of Tiger Woods. Here's an excerpt. When a man is on record as resorting to overusing sex and overusing mind-altering prescription medication to kill emotional pain, he has yet to face some critical source of it inside of himself. Take it from the late, great F. Scott Fitzgerald. In a really dark night of the soul, it's always 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, uh, Tiger Woods has a spiritual thirst that cannot be met by money, and it cannot be met in the other ways that he was trying to meet that. But I'm not picking on Tiger Woods. We're no better than he is. We all have a spiritual thirst. We all have a spiritual hunger. No matter how things are going down here on this level, we have to pay attention to our soul and our spirit. That's where the ultimate satisfaction comes from. All right, so you knew that. You knew that. So the sanctified gratitude comes from spiritual satisfaction. Number two, where does sanctified gratitude come from? It comes from positional peace. Our positional peace. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace where? In me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in where? In Christ Jesus. All right, we're Floridians here. Most of us are. We're hurricane veterans. You know what happens when a hurricane passes over. You got, that, you got that wall of the hurricane. It passes over, and then there's a quietness and a stillness. Is the hurricane over? No. That's the eye, what they call the eye of the storm. It's peaceful, and it's calm inside that eye, but the back wall of the hurricane is still coming, and then it hits. But inside that eye, where the real power is, it's calm, it's peaceful, and it's quiet. Here's the thing about Christians. We go through these storms. We go through everything that non-Christians go through. But we have access to a position of peace and quiet and calm in the midst of the storms of life that we all must experience. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, For God raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. We're seated with Christ right now in the heavenly realms. I thought we were seated right here in this building. Well, physically we are. Our bodies are here. But in a spiritual sense, we are right now. Our spirit is seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's our position in Christ. Colossians 3.3, 3, Paul says, For you died to this life, 
and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where we are. That's our position in Christ. That's our refuge in times of a storm. That's where the peace comes from. So here's my object lesson. Here's my object today, the swing. As sturdy as this may look, do not let your grandkids climb up here and swing on this in between services. I know it looks sturdy, but... So this down here represents our life in this world with all the fluctuations and the vicissitudes of life. This up here is our position in Christ. We're seated with Christ in the, heavenly, in the heavenlies. Our life is tied up with Christ in God. It's right up here. There's not a lot of motion up here. There's a lot of motion down here, but compared to down here, there's, there's really no motion up here. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's calm. Our position. But down here, we have good things that happen, and we have bad things that happen. We've got the good and the bad. The good and the, isn't that the way life is? And when things are going good for you, don't you feel like the, the, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop? Because we know it never lasts forever. Things go good for a little while, and then, boy, the swing swings back over. The pendulum swings to the other extreme, and something just, boom, the other shoe drops. Now, sometimes what we think is, if I could just get control of this swing, if I could just stop these fluctuations, if I could just take this swing and nail it up here on the good side so that the only things I'm experiencing are the good things, well, then I would have some peace and some happiness and contentment and some gratitude. Now, there's two two problems with that kind of thinking and number one is we can't do we can't nail this thing up on the good side no matter how much money a person gets you could be tiger woods you could have 147 million dollars or power and influence and we think well i've got everything under control everything i've got all the insurance i got the 401k got everything my family is insulated i've taken care of every contingency you know as well as I do, don't you? you? We cannot insulate ourselves from what Jesus calls the trials of life on this earth. We can't control the genetics that may be built into our family. We can't control the diagnosis. We cannot control the weather, the hurricane, the fire, the floods. It's impossible to control everything. About the time we think, somebody thinks, well, I've got, I got it figured out. I know the secret. I've got it all nailed up here on the good side. You know what happens? It comes loose and hits them in the fanny. Oh, I guess I don't have it figured out after all. That's problem number one. And problem number two is, with that kind of thinking, is even if we could, even if we could, Get this swing nailed up on, on the good side. So only the good things were happening to us. That is not where ultimate satisfaction comes from. Again, we're, we're back to Tiger Woods again. This is not where ultimate satisfaction comes from. It's not the experiences that we're having in this life. I mean, th that's important. It's important to have food, clothing, and shelter. And Paul said, be content with food and clothing. And we get that. There's certain things that we need here in our physical body and our experiences in this life. But that's not where the ultimate satisfaction comes from. The ultimate satisfaction and contentment and peace and gratitude is up here. That swing's going to swing. A swing is going to swing. 
There's going to be fluctuations and what I call the vicissitudes of life. The good thing about those, there's a good thing about that. That these fluctuations force us to look up. Stop looking at life just through eyes of flesh, but to take on our eyes of faith and to look up. I'm, I'm not satisfied. I've got this and i got that and I still lay in bed at night and I think death is coming and that means everything in this life is meaningless if this is all there is. Or I've got these problems and this is happening to my family and this, this is happening with our finances and these fluctuations force us to look up and to realize, oh, I, I am spiritual. And true contentment and peace and satisfaction are found in a person and a person when we realize that the answer is a person our relationship you know peace is a fruit of the holy spirit joy fruit of the holy spirit when we realize the holy spirit's the spirit of christ when we realize the answer is a person then we're not as desperate for a temporal solution to our problem we want a solution to our problem, but may I tell you something that you already know? You don't always get a solution. You don't always get a resolution. Sometimes you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. The answer is a person, not necessarily a resolution to a problem. Now, we pray for and work for that resolution, but we're going to have peace and joy and gratitude regardless because this is where it is found. One more thing. He's talking about sanctified gratitude. It's spiritual satisfaction. It comes from our positional peace. And one more thing, this kind of gratitude comes in from faith in the holy but. The word B-U-T, B-U-T, the holy but. Now, we, we, we live out of the but. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Is this, when, when somebody, when somebody, what Somebody says, afterward, after the word but, is what they really believe and how they live. For instance, my neighbor Sam, hey, my neighbor Sam is a great guy. He's a good, he's a good man, but, all right, now you're going to hear what I really believe about my neighbor Sam. He lets weeds grow. He, he's never heard of Roundup. Uh, his property is dragging my property values down and he lets his dog come over and do his business in my yard and I don't even have a dog and I got to clean up after Sam's dog. Okay, so that's, but Steve, Steve Jones is a, he's a wonderful minister, but now you're going to really hear what you believe about Steve Jones. His taste in bumper music is terrible. He uses too many object lessons. He can't remember my name. <laughs> so, and now, spiritually speaking, sometimes our problem is we put the wrong things after the but. Put God before the but and our circumstances in life after the but. Oh, you know, yeah, I know God is my sufficiency, but I, I, I really, I am not content and I have no peace. I know that God has promised me wisdom, but... All I seem to have is confusion. We put God before the but, and then our circumstances after the but, and this is what we live out of. And how we want to think about this, now here's a hack. 
And that is to put our circumstances and our problems before the but and God and God's perspective after the but. Jesus knew this. In Luke chapter 22, verse 41, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is heading to the cross. Father, if you are willing, please take away this cup of horror from me, but I want your will, not mine. So what, what changed in Jesus' circumstances right there? Nothing. He did experience that cup of horror, but he was living out of his relationship with the Father. The, I call this the holy but. The holy but transitions us from living down here in our circumstances and our problem and moves us into faith and lifts our eyes toward God. David understood the holy butt. Psalm 13, 1. Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with the anguish in my soul, with the sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Wow, this guy's in real trouble, isn't he? He continues, he's begging in verses 3 and 4, Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Well, this is a terrible situation. But what's the next word in verse 5? But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good. What changed right here? It wasn't the psalmist's circumstances. It was he who changed. His attitude changed as he transitioned into faith and God. And Paul understood the holy but. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body of the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. The dying of Jesus is dying to sin. We've talked about that. We're dead to sin. We're alive to God. It's dying to these circumstances. It's dying to relying on our physical side to bring us peace and joy and gratitude so that we can live the life of Jesus. Jesus' life is in us. Jesus said, my food, it's not turkey and dressing. He said, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. That's who's living in us. That's the life that we are living the life of Christ. We apply this, the principle, even to our present, to our past. Hey, you know what? I am the way I am because my father did not pick me up when I was five years old and cuddle me. He just hid behind his paper, and that's the, way, that's the reason I am the way I am. And we can say that, and maybe there's some truth to that, but that does not define who we are today. We're Christians. God defines who we are. We need the 50-20 vision. 50-20 vision. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We apply that to our past, and we can live out of that past, or we can live out of God's definition of who and what we are. God and his perspective comes after the but. I'm going to conclude here with a, an example uh, from Mike and Terry Thorns. This is, uh, George and Leo back there, this is Leo's sister-in-law, is Terry. 
And I can, I, there are people who are, she's going through cancer and cancer treatments, and I get these email updates, and George forwards them to me so I can pray for her, and some of you pray for her as well. But I ask permission from them to use this as an example. So I think this is a great example of what we're talking about this morning, and I think many of us here will be able to relate uh, with their attitude. The update, the last update reads, Terry started her third round of chemo in mid-September. She goes to the hospital every Tuesday for three to four hours to receive the IV drip. She has experienced a variety of side effects this time around. Her feet have swelled, and she elevates them much of the day and night. She has lost all of her body hair, including her nose, which screens impurities. Her loss of hair may be permanent. She has a humidifier on every night due to waking up with a bloody nose. She has lost her eyelashes, causing a constant tearing. She has painful peripheral neuropathy. Her hands are beet red like a sunburn, and her skin is peeling. It's extremely painful, so she wears cotton gloves most of the 24 hours of the day and night. She uses a pencil to use the remote due to her lack of strength in her hands. Now she's experiencing the same in her feet, which makes it difficult to walk. Feels like walking on razor blades. So she is using a walker to get about the house. She has lost her voice, changes in her fingernails and toenails, and she may lose them. She has no saliva, so it's hard to eat and swallow. And she has no taste buds, so hard to find food that appeals. We became aware of the tumor last Christmas Day. Terry's had six chemo treatments in round three and has six more to go, taking us to Thanksgiving. Then the oncologist and surgeon will decide what scans or tests to order so that surgery can be planned. Her body is fighting this cancer hard, exhausting her. She rests in the living room, reading in devotions. Terry is very strong through this. We remind each other of our two main things. God is in control and Romans 8, 28. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We thank God for the way he is working in this. It is difficult in this valley we're in right now, but our God is faithful. He precedes us, joins us, and leads us through this. Our trust and faith in him is not shaken. We look to him from whom we gain our strength in our weakness. We will get through this with God's help and with your prayers. Thank you, prayer warriors. Next update will be around December 1st. In Christ's love, Mike and Terry Thorne. And Mike and Terry, if you're watching this, I know you may be. We love you. We continue to pray for you. You see where they put, what they put after the but? God, faith, peace, and gratitude. And I know... I know we could use examples this morning from people in this congregation that have gone through that, are going through that. But that's what we're talking about this morning. Sanctified gratitude. Whether this changes or not, the answer is a person. Amen. Father in heaven, we are thankful today. We're grateful today for our blessings, our material blessings, yes. But much more than that, far more than that, we thank you for your spirit who lives within us, the spirit of Christ, with whom we have fellowship and a relationship, with whom we are seated in the heavenlies at this very moment, the hope of heaven one day when we die, and we're going to be with you in a different kind of world, helps to bring us joy and peace and love and gratitude in the here and now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.